0: A lot of you know, in recent years, I've told many stories about my family life, and most of you know I have two children, two daughters, they're age four and six, and I've told stories about them over the years, and today I'm going to tell you another story about them that's been happening recently. They're in an age right now where I guess the easiest way to explain it is one of the sisters tells on the other sister a lot. You all understand what I'm saying. Daddy, my sister did this. Daddy, my sister didn't do this. Daddy, my sister said this. And finally, after many weeks of this, this week I, I, I mentioned to her, you know, you tell on your sister a lot. And her response was, I know. I enjoy it when she gets in trouble. And I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> Any advice on the way out? I would appreciate it. No, it's 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 funny. They're wonderful. They're at that age and it's a good thing, but I enjoy it when she gets in trouble. Is there something human about that? Is that instinct? Is that nature? I think maybe it is. Which brings us to our old friend Jonah. This week, today, we are once again in the midst of our sermon series on Jonah. You may remember, if you were here last week, we did part one. Today is part two. In your worship folder, there is a yellow insert. If you feel so inclined to follow along, to maybe fill in some blanks, take that yellow insert out now. You don't have to. You can just listen if you'd like. But just a quick recap, as you may remember from last week, Jonah, the story of Jonah took place a very long time ago. 2,700-ish years ago or so. About 700 hundred-ish years before Jesus walked on this earth, Jonah walked on this earth. Jonah was a prophet. A prophet is someone who is called by God to proclaim God, usually, to God's people, at least in the Old Testament, right? Jonah had something of a very unique call. Jonah was called to proclaim God's word to Gentiles, people who were not of God's people at that time. Jonah was called to proclaim God's word in the city of Nineveh. The city of Nineveh was the greatest city of the Neo-Assyrian Empire, the Assyrians. And just so you understand the context of our story, according to Jonah and God's people at that time, these Assyrians were bad news. They did not like the Assyrians. Jonah did not like the Assyrians. They were regarded as unclean, Gentile foreigners who worshipped pagan gods and had problems with ethics and morals. Jonah and God's people did not like these Assyrians. And oh, by the way, the Assyrians at that time, they were coming to dominate the known world. They were the great power of that day, of that time. And it seemed clear to Jonah and to God's people at that time, they had designs on the Holy Land. The Assyrians were going to come and conquer the kingdom of God. And so Jonah gets this assignment, gets this call from God. How does Jonah feel about this call from God? I see some head shaking of no. That's exactly, there's no better way to say it than. That's exactly how Jonah felt about this call. He wanted. No part of it. So what does Jonah do? Remember from last week, what does Jonah do? He flees. God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, which was about 500 miles east of where he was when he got that call. Instead, Jonah heads west to a place called Tarshish. He gets on a boat, gets in the Mediterranean Sea. And while he's on that boat in the Mediterranean Sea, what happens? The perfect storm. Storm of the century, right? The boat's rocking and rolling. The boat is clearly going down. And the crew realizes, well, this is kind of this guy Jonah's fault. And so after some back and forth, after some trying to rescue him nobly, what do they do? They throw him over the side of the boat. And here comes the big moment. When I say Jonah, what do you think of? You think of the great fish. You think of the whale. Jonah, in that water, gets consumed by a great fish. And he spends three days and three nights in the belly of that fish. Before, I'll say it as tactfully as I can, re emerging, (laughs) landing on a beach like new. And in that place, God gives Jonah another chance. My favorite moment in the story, one of my favorite moments in the entire Bible. Jonah on that beach, a failure in every sense of that word, right? God called him to do something. He said, no, he failed. He failed as a child of God. He failed as a servant, a prophet of God. So he fled. He chose to become apostate. He chose to separate himself from God. He failed at that too, right? God wouldn't have it. God brought him back. And God saved him from that water. That fish was a means of grace, right? That fish was the means by which God rescued him and gave him a chance to in parental terms, have a timeout. reevaluate, And God brought him back to that beach and gave him another chance. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. God pressed the divine reset button. All those things I asked you to do that you didn't do, go do it now. And that's the story. That's where we left off, at least. But before we get back to our story, a couple of things I want to note for you. Thing number one, the story of Jonah is very much about resurrection, right? When you hear Jonah, one of the words that comes to your mind should be the word resurrection. Because in Jonah, Jonah is resurrected, right? He goes in that water to die. But three days later, he rises again. A new creature to live again. And Jesus, in the New Testament, 700-ish years later, Cites this and says what? He says, just as Jonah was in the belly of that fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man, so Jesus, points to himself, so will I be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. And I will rise again. Jonah is about resurrection. Jonah's fish event foreshadows the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And guess what? Guess what? It foreshadows your resurrection and my resurrection as well. Just like Jonah, just like Jesus, through Jesus, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, through the goodness that he shares with us, we too will die and rise again. Jonah is about resurrection. The truth of all truths in the kingdom of God, the hope of all hopes, we will rise again. Jonah is also a story of grace. Perhaps the story serves as one of the greatest examples of the grace of God that there is in terms of any story. Think about all the grace that Jonah received. That great fish was an act of grace. His second opportunity on that beach where he's called to go to Nineveh again, that was grace. That was another chance. That was a new beginning. And so before we get into this too much, I want to do what I did last week. I want to ask you, what is grace? What, Diane, you're raising your hand. We're so formal here. I love it. We have a hand-raising kind of church now. All right. Tell me, tell me what? Unmerited. Unmerited favor. There's a big word for us. Unmerited, right? Unmerited, undeserved. Okay, we know this. You all know this. In the kingdom of God, God gives us so many good things. God showers his blessings upon us. The greatest good thing that God gives us is what? His one and only son, Jesus Christ. God sends us, Jesus, to take our sin away. And to give us the gift of forever. And every single day, every single moment in the kingdom of God, his goodness is perpetual. That forgiveness is ongoing. He forgives your sins yet again today. And he strengthens you through the hope of forever. The hope of eternity. The hope of resurrection. God gives us all these good things as his people. What did we do to deserve them? What did we do to earn this? Nothing. Undeserved unmerited goodness of God. That's what grace is. Everyone understands. And as I said, Jonah got a lot of grace in this story, didn't he? Undeserved, unmerited goodness. Okay. New word. What is anger? What does that word mean, anger? And anger is one of those words, well, it's hard to define, but I know exactly what it is. Because I felt, who's felt anger before? Everyone's hand should be up. If your hand's not up right now, talk to me after the service. Let me know your secrets. Because a lot of us, we spend a lot of time angry. We're angry in traffic. We're angry at the airport. We're angry at work. We get angry with people a lot, all the time. Maybe too much. It's fair to say. In the Bible, anger is very much the counterpoint to Grace. Anger functions as the opposite of grace. God says this to Moses on multiple occasions. Jonah quotes this in our reading for today. The Lord our God is gracious and merciful. He's full of grace. He's full of mercy. Comma. Slow to anger. The opposite of grace. God is graceful. He's not angry. And you've been angry. And I've been angry. And we've been angry too much. And Jonah was angry. The last statement that Jonah makes in this recorded story of his life, he says, I'm so angry, I wish I, wish I were dead. I am so angry, I wish I were dead. I'm so angry I can't live with myself or with this anger. I would rather be dead than go on another moment living with this feeling that I feel, this seething rage that I have. Who's ever felt like that? I hope not. If you do, keep your hands down. Let's talk afterwards. Again. Why was Jonah so angry? Well, that's the story. And as you know, Jonah is on that beach that day. And I think in the Bible, you know, things happen faster than they actually happened. Like the story happens faster than the things actually happen. What I mean is, Jonah was on that beach and he had a 500-mile journey before him. Who's ever taken a long trip? You know, I take long trips sometimes too. And usually when I take a long trip, I need things to occupy myself. Like I'm getting a long flight. What am I going to do? I'm going to hope I sleep. And I'm going to wake up and be there. That's like the ideal trip for me. Or we're going to take a long trip in the car, and and here the kids are in the back. Let's get out some devices, and let's plan some games for the car ride. Let's get some music going. Let's get the playlist really long here. Let's plan some talking points because we need to occupy ourselves during this long journey. How long a journey did Jonah have? 500 miles to his east. There's no Uber, there's no quickie flight. Jonah's going to walk. And what's going through his head during that long, arduous walk through the desert to modern-day Iraq? I would think, and I don't know, but I would think if it were me, if it were a lot of people I know, there would be a lot of wallowing in self-pity, reliving the failures, reliving everything that you've done wrong. If it were me, there'd be some fear. Because Jonah was going into hostile territory. And Jonah was going into this hostile territory, remember, to tell them that they are bad news. That God is displeased with them, that they need to change. Or this God, this one true God, all their gods are false, by the way, this one true God, is going to end their way of life. Is going to take that city. Oh, by the way, quick historical tidbit. Back in ancient. Tidbits from ancient history, right? Back in the day, the Assyrians, their reputation amongst the other nations of the world, and this has come down to us through history, it may or may not be true, but this is what people thought, what they believed. The Assyrians were cannibals. You know any cannibals? I hope not! So Jonah's going to this place. You know, Remember remember, St. Paul would go and proclaim God's word to hostile people. What would happen to St. Paul? Well, sometimes they they, they, they take it, they'd get it. Sometimes he got the stones thrown right at him, thrown in the jail, beaten up. So Jonah's going into that. What's what's going to happen? Am I going to a stone? Are they, they going to eat me? So Jonah gets there. We imagine many weeks or a month or more later. And he goes into Nineveh. Nineveh was a big city. And Jonah proclaims what God told him to proclaim. He proclaims God's judgment against that city. Ninevites, you need to change. You need to adjust your ways. You need to fix your moral compass. You need to repent and turn to the one true God. Or you're going down. Or your city will be taken from you. And it worked. Amazing, right? It worked. They they accept this word. There is mass repentance in the city of Nineveh. They're saying to themselves, they're saying to themselves, this guy Jonah, he's right. We need to change. We're wrong. We, we, We need to turn to this one true God. We need to repent. Word reaches the king. The king of Nineveh. The king of Assyria, excuse me, who lives in Nineveh. Who was, at that time, it's fair to assume, the most powerful man in the world. And this most powerful man in the world hears this word from this little Israelite who smells like whale vomit, and he too repents. And he makes a proclamation. Sackcloth, mourning. Turn to this one true God in the hopes, in the desperate hopes, that maybe, just maybe, this God will spare our great city. And God did. Talk about a happy ending, I mean, shouldn't the story end there? Shouldn't the story end at that point? And and the city was saved, and they all lived happily ever after. And talk about the grace of God. This Jonah, this nobody, this bum who rejected God. He was saved by God. He was rescued. He became the instrument God used. God gave him a second chance. And Jonah went to Nineveh. He proclaimed God's word. And 120,000 people were saved through this guy. Jonah, through the power of God's word. That would be the greatest story of grace, maybe, I don't know. In the top five, at least, top ten, I don't know. Look at the power of God. Behold, the limitless grace, the abundant grace of our Lord and Savior, of our God. But the story doesn't end there, does it? When I taught this story in Bible class a couple of months ago, it was amazing because we had 30 people in Bible class, and some of them, a lot of them are pretty strong Bible students, right? They study the Bible a lot. And I asked them, well, how many people remember how this story, what Jonah actually does at the end of the story? Three of them remembered how Jonah responded. After Jonah preaches God to the Ninevites, after they accept this word, after God spares that city, Jonah walks out of Nineveh. He heads east little ways, far enough so he's away, but close enough so he can still see the city. And in that spot, east of that city, he pitches a tent. And the tent faces the city. And Jonah watches the city of Nineveh. What is he watching for? What is he watching for? He's watching in the hopes that someone changes their mind. Either these Ninevites or God himself. Because Jonah wants that city to be destroyed. Jonah wants that city to go down. Jonah seemingly likes it when people are in trouble. In the face of God's abundant grace, in the face of all that God had graciously and generously done for him, that man Jonah, and for all these Ninevites, this is Jonah's response. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. He became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't that what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate, God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life. It is better for me to die than to live. And later down he says, I am so angry, I wish I were dead. This is what it was all about all along. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. It wasn't because he was afraid. It wasn't because he was lazy and just didn't want to go somewhere new and somewhere different. It wasn't about change, Lutherans. What was it about? He knew it was going to work. He knew it was going to work. He knew that through him, God would save this city. And Jonah wanted no part of that the limitless, abundant grace of God. Jonah thinks there should be limits. Jonah believed the grace of God should not be for everyone. It should not be for those stinking Ninevites. His words, paraphrased. You get it. And Jonah seems ridiculous and absurd. Doesn't he? Jonah chooses anger over grace. And he becomes a figure that has come down to us down through the ages, a figure who is ridiculous and absurd. And this story is a great story. And this story now becomes something called a satire. You know what a satire is? In a nutshell, basically, a satire is a story that's ridiculous and absurd on purpose. To make points about human beings that are ridiculous and absurd and true in the face of so much grace, in the face of the God who saved him, who gave him a second chance, who brought him through the sea, in the belly of a great fish, who put him on a beach and pressed a reset button. Even though you've done everything wrong, Jonah, you're still my guy, I still love you. Now go and be my guy. And I will do amazing things through you. In the face of all of that, in the face of 120,000 people rescued from God, Jonah chooses anger. He chooses hate. What about us? What about us? As we gather underneath the symbol of the greatest love that there is, the love of our God made real to us through Jesus Christ, the love that brought God into our world, to lay down his life, even though he didn't have to, even though we don't deserve it. Jesus died for you and for me so that we might be forgiven, so that we might live forever. And we have been bathed in that forgiveness, in that forever, just like Theodore was today. And we eat and drink that grace, that love, that true presence of Jesus Christ on this altar, in this meal today. And we know beyond the shadow of a doubt, whatever we've done, whatever we haven't done, and I don't know about you, but I've made a lot of mistakes. I don't know about you, but I've done a lot wrong. But it doesn't matter because my God presses the divine reset button. All of our sins are forgiven. Always. Grace upon grace upon grace. Why are we so quick to choose anger? Why are we so ready to embrace hate? You know, when we do this, And I do it a lot. And we all do it a lot. We are absurd. We are ridiculous. Brothers and sisters, friends in Christ, the kingdom of God is open. It's open to all people, it's open to you and to me. And that's good news. This week, in the weeks ahead, you're going to be exposed to a lot of different people in a lot of different situations. Work, at school, in your family, your neighbors, people you meet randomly. And not everything's going to go your way. And you're going to be disappointed. And you're going to be frustrated. And you're going to be angry. There's a choice before you. Anger or grace. When these moments come up, my hope and my prayer for myself and for all of us is that we would be mindful, we would remember through the power of God's Holy Spirit who we are and what we are. We are people who have been defined and redefined by grace, been transformed by the power of forgiveness. We are the recipients of the abundant, unmerited goodness of God. May that define our perspective. May that define how we treat others. May that define our existence on every level, the grace of God, the unmerited goodness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name, for his sake, amen.